0: I'd like to take a moment to thank everyone for tuning into the History of Cypress podcast. And to those of you who have now supported the podcast on Patreon, thank you so much. Again, this podcast is not monetized, so your financial support helps offset the costs of producing this show, the primary sources, and of course it keeps it ad-free. Please check out the History of Cypress podcast on Patreon, where your support can get you early access to upcoming episodes and help keep this project going. Remember, I can also be found on Instagram and you can always reach me at podcast at gmail.com. Dr. Angel Nicolaou Gonari is an associate professor in medieval history at the University of Cyprus, specializing in the field of Hellenism under Latin rule. Her research interests include various aspects of Cypriot society during the Lusignan and Venetian periods, as well as medieval Greek and Latin prejudices and ethnicities. Additionally, she is the principal investigator of the research program Recapturing, Documenting, Digitizing, and Promoting the Mill Heritage of Cyprus, and one of the coordinators of the joint research program Digitizing Medieval Cyprus between the University of Cyprus and King's College London. Dr. Nicolao Konari was also an expert advisor to the Cyprus UNESCO Committee from 2010 to 2021 on Safeguarding Intangible Cultural Heritage, and she is currently completing a book on the lives of two Cypriots during the late 16th and early 17th centuries, Pietro and Giorgio Tenores. Except for today, she is here with us so kindly to speak about a very well-known and popular character in medieval history. And that is Richard the Lionheart and Richard the Lionheart's conquest of Cyprus in 1191. Angel, thank you for accepting my invitation and welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Andres.
0: So first off, uh, I like to I always like talking about sources when exploring the uh, historical era, so what can you tell us about the the, the historical sources for Richard Lionheart's conquest? How do historians sift the facts from the legends? You know, how do we make sure that we're getting the full picture?
1: Well, we're very lucky, actually, because uh, we've got. Uh, a very large amount of written sources for the Third Crusade and for the Cyprus events. Um, We've got Byzantine sources, uh, including native Cypriot ones. We've got Latin Eastern sources, testimonies from the Crusader states in Syria and Palestine. English sources, of course, either from England or from Richard's continental lands written in French. And then we've got French sources, German sources, Arabic, Syriac, Armenian, Flemish, and Italian. Some of these sources are very, they just mention briefly the events. Others, they give um, long, detailed narratives. Most of the sources are contemporary to the events they describe. While some of them, the most precious ones, are those who, which represent first hand testimony of eyewitnesses, people who either uh, accompanied Richard on his expedition or people who were Cypriots uh, and they uh, lived through the events. We are lucky to also have two documents which derive from, which emanate from Richard himself his dispatch to his justicia um, dated 6th of August 9, 1191, uh, in which dispatch he mentions the conquest of Cyprus, and of course the settlement of Dower upon Berengaria of Navarra, uh, signed in Leesemasson on the wedding day on uh, the 12th of May 1191. So we've got really two, two documents emanating from Richard, precious testimony. And we also have... A letter written by a very well-known Cypriot saint, Saint Neophytos the Recluse. Neophytos um, is an eyewitness. He lived in Cyprus at the moment of the conquest, so um, uh, he knew. He has def- he had a first-hand knowledge of the events, and in this letter, um, he describes uh, the conquest from the point of view of a native cypriot obviously all these sources relate the events uh, from a, a specific ideological standpoint uh, whether they are uh, whether this is you know an english uh, standpoint or a byzantine or a cypriot or whatever uh, so a historian has to be very careful and um, tr- um, in order to discern the the real events behind um, accusations, exaggerations. But of course, this is not something uh, unique for the Third Crusade. This is something a historian always does. Similarly, stories which may have been interpolated later or stories which represent popular myths, uh, w- w- a historian is always careful with them. Such a story is the one about Isaac demanding iron—sorry, um, silver uh, chains instead of iron chains. Many chronicles uh, repeat this story, but of course we cannot be sure whether this is true or not. It certainly reflects the negative portrait most of the Western. Uh, and Byzantine sources um, draw of Isaac.
0: Just to contextualize Cyprus in this period, did it oscillate from one of importance to one of inconsequence? Like, how did Cyprus fit in the Eastern Roman Empire at the time?
1: Well, uh, this is what we call the second Byzantine period of the history of Cyprus. Second, uh, uh, after the um, what we call um, Arab uh, Byzantine condominium on the island, which ended uh, 965, in the middle of the 10th century. So this is the second Byzantine period. We are uh, at the end of the 12th century. Uh, Since uh, the 11th century, uh, the Byzantine Empire goes through um, territorial losses, Uh, suffered because of the advances of the Muslims, Arabs and Turks, advances of the Armenians, and of course, advances of the Western Europeans uh, within the Crusades. So because of the loss of territory suffered by the empire, Cyprus, uh, at the end of the 11th century and throughout the 12th century, Reemerges as uh, an important naval base for the empire. It, it's the um, easternmost frontier of the empire. Now the empire is uh, more or less limited in its Greek-speaking lands. So Cyprus represents the front, the easternmost frontier of the empire and obviously, a very, very important uh, naval base. Cyprus is also at the time uh, within the framework of the Crusades and the Crusader states uh, founded in Syria and Palestine at the end of the 11th century. Cyprus now um, has a very important role as a source of supplies for these Crusader states, states and also as a possible refuge for the christians in syria and palestine in case of muslim of muslim advances
0: okay so let's talk about isaac comninos
1: yes which uh
0: you know he is a very important character in this period mm-hmm. and to richard the lionheart's conquest so i want to know uh basically how would we characterize him you know is he a usurper Can you tell us, basically, who who is this guy, how does he seize control, and what were his motivations in in capturing Cyprus first before Richard the Lionheart?
1: Historically and politically, Isaac Dukas Komnenos gave the final stroke to the already fragile political frontier of the empire, in terms of um, uh, eastern Mediterranean. He was a, he was a member of the royal family. He's uh, um, he was a great nephew of the Emperor Manuel the Komnenos. His great uncle appointed him governor of Cilicia, uh, uh, that is Lesser Armenia. Sometime in the eleven seventies, he apparently he didn't get on well with the Armenians. He was captured by them, he was sold to the Templars, he was, put, he was imprisoned by the Templars. And at some time, another uh, Byzantine emperor, Andronikos I Komnenos, paid the ransom for Isaac to be liberated. Isaac then raised the force of mercenaries, of opportunists, and came to Cyprus. In Cyprus, uh, it is not clear whether he seized control of the island by presenting to the authorities forged letters of appointment, or whether he was legitimately appointed to the office of the governor. At any rate, he became governor of the island, and at some point in 1184, he Claimed himself emperor of the island, and Neophytos the Recluse gives us the details and allows us to uh, give you know a specific date to this event. Eleven eighty four, he proclaims himself emperor of Cyprus, and. Uh, actually, we, we have coins, coins survive from his uh, governorship and from his uh, time of uh, being the emperor of Cyprus. And on the coins, we have the title the Vespotis, uh, a title reserved for the emperors. So he was um, a very, very ambitious uh, person, a very clever person, apparently, a very able person who used his abilities to become uh, the ruler of Cyprus.
0: Did Emperor Manuel I, did he try recovering Cyprus from his nephew? Uh, I I recall that supposedly a naval force was dispatched in 1186, but they were defeated. You know, so did the the Byzantines try to recover it and... um, If not, or if they weren't unsuccessful, why did they stop?
1: Well, the emperor at the time was Isaac II Angelos. So we have a new dynasty. It's not the Komnini anymore. It's the Angeli. And this is indicative. This tells us why Constantinople couldn't recover Cyprus. There were dynastic rivalries. There were coups. Um, emperors coming and going, you know, killing each other. So, yes, uh, when Isaac II Angelos, uh, after his access to the throne in 1185, he put together a fleet uh, and sent it to Cyprus uh, to recover the island. That was the only military attempt made by Constantinople. It was um, a humiliating defeat for Constantinople, Isaac uh, was um, had the the assistance of uh, the Sicilian Admiral Margaritone. uh, In Sicily at the time, the the Normans were the rulers. So um, Isaac, Isaac's second wife was related to the royal family of Sicily. And uh, this is um, we we suppose that this is how the, the alliance took place. So the Sicilians, the Normans of Sicily, helped Isaac. He defeated the imperial army, and Constantinople uh, didn't try again to recover Cyprus. Uh, We are in 1186, as you said. We must remember that only in a few years' time, it's the Fourth Crusade in 1204, So, Constantinople will not be able to recover Cyprus. Uh, Constantinople will be lost to the Crusaders. So, uh, And even when the Byzantines recover Constantinople in 1261, they will have other, more urgent problems than Cyprus. So, indeed, we can say that Isaac's actions led or prepared the way for the conquest of Cyprus by uh, Richard the Lionheart and then the sale of the island to the Lusignans. Cyprus will never be part of any Greek state again.
0: And before the Fourth Crusade, we have the Third Crusade. And uh, it's a very famous story. I think um, many listeners will know that King Richard, the Lionheart, the Cœur de Léon of, of England, who ironically, although he's the king of England, would have spoken French. He's on his way to reclaim Jerusalem for the Christian West. And as many listeners know the story, uh, or part of his fleet, uh, flounders off the coast of Cyprus, and they're captured. Now, I, I was hoping you could tell us basically what series of events unfold in this period because you will certainly do a better job than i but i'm also really curious about richard's motivations because in the sources it's this incidental event it's portrayed as i wasn't planning on taking cyprus but isaac komninos he's this terrible person and he insulted my honor and he insulted my future queen and i needed to by god have justice. So I came across in in one of your uh, articles that there is a historical source that mentions that Richard had an enterprise in mind to make him go to the port of Limassol. And even Arab sources claim that it was Richard's intentions to actually capture Cyprus. What's your take? What exactly unfolds in this period?
1: We don't really know whether the invasion of Cyprus was by Richard was uh, intentional, planned, or uh, you know an accident of history. Definitely, the English sources, and when I say English, I mean sources that emanate from uh, Richard's uh, citizens, subjects, not uh, written in English. Okay, so the English sources are very, very, very careful you know, to to uh, show that, yes, it was an accident brought uh, uh, upon Isaac and upon the island because of Isaac's um, actions. Now, on the other hand, if one reads all the sources very carefully, there are uh, some, um, there is some evidence, there are suggestions that, obviously, Richard must have known of the, Um, uh, geostrategical uh, importance of Cyprus for the cause of the crusades, of the crusading movement. And uh, uh, one uh, English source says uh, it's Ambroise, he's, um, uh, he's a chronicle, he's very explicit when he says that Richard, when he arrived in Rhodes, he made inquiries about Cyprus and uh, had uh, this thought in his mind other sources for example uh, say that uh, when the king of france asked richard why did you delay your arrival to palestine you know uh, with this business in cyprus richard uh, answers that uh, i did it because cyprus is very important for our cause so there are some pieces of evidence that indicate that, of course, Richard could uh, appreciate the political and geostrategical importance of Cyprus for the cause of the Crusades. On the other hand, it seems that Isaac also uh, was afraid of a possible invasion by the Crusaders. He was prepared Uh, for such an invasion. And actually, English sources again claim that he had an alliance with Saladin, the the Muslim leader. We cannot tell if this is true, but it's possible. He was definitely aware. He was afraid that the Crusaders might attack his island. Of course, on the other hand, we cannot deny uh, the fact that Isaac behaved badly to uh, Richard's fiancée and sister, and also to other um, English ships, uh, which were uh, wrecked, which were wrecked uh, on the shores of Cyprus. That was the perfect excuse for Richard. The fact that Isaac uh, behaved badly to uh, the two ladies and to other Crusaders. And also the fact that Isaac was a usurper gave Richard the perfect justification. He wasn't attacking Byzantine land, but he was attacking someone who had stolen land from Byzantium. So uh, legally, he was more or less legitimated. And these justifications are always Present, uh, we, we can see them in English sources.
0: Since Isaac was a usurper and he essentially is dethroned by Richard, did the Byzantines uh, at any point say, okay, he was illegitimate, can we have Cyprus back? Did that happen at all?
1: Yes, yes, they did claim it. Uh, they did make claims to the Pope also. But again, we are in 1191, there is a dynastic crisis again mm, in Byzantium, within the Angeli dynasty, the brother uh, dethrones uh, his brother, uh, blinds him and dethrones him, and this crisis will lead to the events of the Fourth Crusade, uh, the capture of Constantinople by the Venetians and the cru- Crusaders. So. By the time the empire could get organized and claim Cyprus, the Fourth Crusade took place, so after that the empire could do nothing really.
0: You you mentioned some of the dignitaries accompanying Richard to the Holy Land. King Richard's mother, is that possible was he was she along no, with no, him? No,
1: she wasn't. No. Okay. Eleanor of Aquitaine or Aquitaine, rather. I always tend to pronounce uh, the French uh, names the French way. Uh, well, Eleanor was a very, very energetic woman, as you may know, and she was really worried that um, uh, Richard was still single. Hmm? Uh, he didn't have an heir to the throne. So he um, took uh, his bride, Berengaria of Navarra, to Sicily, where Richard had uh, um, made a stop uh, in order to uh, see uh, through the problems his sister was facing. Uh, he, his sister was the widow of the king of Sicily, so Richard wanted to recover her dowry and take care with him. So Eleanor arrives in Sicily with the bride-to-be, Berengaria, Probably, uh, this is why we have so many prelates, uh, important prelates, accompanying Richard. The mar- the, way- the performance of the wedding, the celebration of the wedding, was planned to take place in Sicily. The problem is that by the time Erlino arrived, it was Lent, and no wedding could take place during Lent, as you know. So... What was Plan B? Joan of Sicily, sister, um, uh, Richard's sister, would escort uh, Berengaria, and uh, Berengaria and uh, uh, Joan would uh, uh, follow Richard on his expedition, and the wedding would take place in Syria and or Palestine uh, in the Kingdom of Jerusalem. But of course, the events took a different direction, Uh, the uh, episode in Cyprus took place, and the wedding finally took place in Cyprus because Lent was over. Uh, So we assume that the fact that uh, Richard was accompanied by prelates was a premeditated action. Uh, Yes, he wanted to be uh, married to Berengaria on his expedition
0: how did the residents of Cyprus fare during Richard's expedition? For example, in one of the sources, I I don't recall exactly which one, it could have been Benedict of Peterborough, mentions that Limassol was deserted. Um, But at the same time, other sources, and maybe even the same one, mentions that Richard, and I quote, tried to protect the local population, end quote. So were they merely passive observers? Were they Happy to see him? Were they disappointed to see him? How how did they react to his presence on the island? Uh,
1: the expedition took exactly one month. Huh? Richard probably arrived on the island on uh, uh, the fifth, the fifth or sixth of May, and he leaves on the um, fifth of June. In one month, Richard took the entire island. And depending on the sources, we have different itineraries uh, about his expedition on the island. But if we combine all the sources, we see that he actually went, uh, He, um, Richard or his army, I mean, they went everywhere on the island, from Paphos to Apostolos Andreas, mm? Cape Andreas. So... Um, and from Kyrenia to Amohostos and from Limassol to Nicosia so they went everywhere uh, so obviously the island must have been uh, and the inhabitants must have been uh, affected given the extent and uh, the military nature of the of the expedition uh, I, I always like to compare richard's um, invasion of cyprus uh, i mean with modern in modern terms with uh, let's say the americans invading cyprus today you know i mean the the the, the size and the um, of his army and the uh, weapons and the horses and uh, all the ammunition and everything was really com- we can compare it to you know to an american force invading cyprus today isaac tried to uh, resist he couldn't it must have been a negative a negative um, experience for the native population but as you said english sources are particularly careful to reassure us that richard gave specific instructions to his soldiers not to harm the population On the other hand, Neophytos the recluse is very, very, very uh, verbally violent against Richard, but uh, he does it in a very vague way. He does say that Richard robbed the island, but he doesn't really say that he killed people. So we also have other sources, English, including Neophytos himself, who say which say that the local population uh, were so so disappointed uh, with um, Isaac's rule that they actually welcomed Richard especially the rich the old elite of Cyprus they must uh, they have probably lost their property because of Isaac's confiscations and Isaac's you know heavy taxation. Uh so now they welcomed uh, Richard. Uh, we have evidence in the sources about the um, population of Limassol and the population of Nicosia. And as I said, Neophytos the recluse, a Cypriot himself, he says that uh, everybody went to Richard and abandoned Isaac, which shows that they all they were so so fed up with Isaac that they believed that uh, perhaps Richard would have been a better ruler. And one of the sources uh, claims that uh, they gave Richard uh, the um, the ruling class of Nicosia, gave Richard half of their possessions, in return of the laws they had under Manuel uh, Komninos, uh, the Byzantine emperor, which shows that Isaac was a dictator uh, who um, didn't respect any of the Byzantine laws.
0: Can you um, share this interesting, albeit it is somewhat dubious, story of Statinos Nazares? I don't know if I said that right. I think his name is Tatikios who I believe may have been a general or a high-ranking officer for Isaac, um, and who is captured by Richard. I, I don't know the story. I just remember coming across it and thinking, "Wow, this is this is very fascinating." Can you share that story with the listeners?
1: This is an incident uh, told by. Um, three late 13th, early 14th century uh, chronicles. So it's not a story we find in uh, contemporary sources uh, written by eyewitnesses. Uh, So it's a story we find in later chronicles and um, it might be a later interpolation of um, uh, a character... (laughs) Uh, we find during the first crusade, a Byzantine general, Tatikios. The story goes like that. Statinus, who was one of Isaac's officials, advised Isaac to surrender to the English king because he knew that uh, it was impossible to face uh, uh, Richard's forces. Isaac was... um, very angry, and in one of his notorious fits of anger, he cut off a slice of Statinus's nose. So um, ever since then uh, the um, Statinus was named was called uh, Statin Lunase uh, in French or Statinus uh, Nazatus in Latin. In Greek, one would, would say um, komomutinos. we have this verb in, um, uh, in uh, uh, Greek texts because nose mutilation, rhinotomy, was a typical Byzantine punishment mentioned in several uh, Byzantine legal codes. So Statinus Nazadus escaped mm, uh, to the English camp and offered Richard his services delivering all the castles and cities of the island, as well as Isaac's daughter to the English king. And of course, a great number, the story goes, a great number of Isaac's barons followed Stadinos' example and did homage to Richard. And after Isaac's capture, Richard made Stadinos the governor of Cyprus. So the story, it's probably... Uh, as I said, a later interpolation. Um, uh, it takes elements from stories of the First Crusade. It uh, um, adapts uh, the this. Uh, it's adapted to the Third Crusade and to the Cypriot events. But although its authenticity is dubious, uh, it does indicate once more that the uh, native population of Cyprus were really very hostile towards Isaac and some of them at least welcomed Richard.
0: So other sources say that many of the citizens actually even went to congratulate uh Richard after the conquest. They defected and shaved their beards. <laughs> why why would they have shaved their beards as an act of contrition? What 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 is that all about?
1: Well, um the um uh, beards, well let's say hair it's um, one, uh, it's a very very important cultural difference between east and west in middle times um, in the middle ages the west, uh, in the west men had long hair and shaven faces that's the German tradition huh? uh, long hair and shaven faces in the east in Byzantium, men had short hair, but beards bearded faces. This was you know a huge cultural difference for the um, Byzantines the Western fashion was very effeminate, whereas for the westerners uh, Byzantine fashion was very barbaric. <laughs> And um, this is why uh, the the Western sources say that, as uh, as a token of submission, Cypriots shaved their faces.
0: What happened to Isaac after he's captured? What 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 is his fate? I uh, and I mentioned at the start of this interview that he is eventually captured, asks not to be put in chains of iron, and Richard acquiesces and instead puts him in chains of silver, and I think some other sources suggest even gold. What What, what is his fate?
1: Well, he um, Richard took him with him to uh, Palestine and he gave him to the master of the hospitalers um, in whose custody he was held in the castle of Markap, near Tripoli in Northern Syria. A a castle, um, we're not sure it exists today because of the war, of the recent, I mean, war in Syria. He stayed, he was imprisoned, so in that castle, it was a hospital castle. He stayed there for several years. Latin Eastern sources claim that he died in prison, but Byzantine sources, Claim that he was liberated at some stage, and again, he started um, his uh, conspiracies, his intrigues, uh, inciting the Sultan against uh, the Byzantine Empire. Supposedly, according to Byzantine sources, he died by poison at about 1195.
0: You mentioned uh, Isaac as having a black legend, creating enemies both East and West. I mean, there was even one source that supposedly said that he had gold and silver statues of himself made and set up in churches. You know, on Good Friday, he was even worshipped, offered sacrifices, terrorized people, and even purportedly killed his own son. How authentic are these accusations? Have the sources really been unfair to Isaac?
1: What? what we can say is that isaac was demonized by all sources i mean whether they are um, western byzantine cypriot Latin Eastern. so all writers for for all writers isaac represents you know the stereotypical image of the other of the of a person uh, of a negative person for different reasons. Uh, for the English, it's obvious why huh? he was the usurper. Uh, he was someone who um, was unfaithful to his lord, the emperor, uh, who was who didn't behave honorably to women or to the crusaders. So uh, the, this way, they justified uh, uh, Richard's behavior uh, for the. Uh, Latin Eastern sources the same for the Byzantines. Obviously, he was also the the, the uh, prototype, the archetype of uh, the enemy, uh, because he um, defied the emperor several times, several occasions. He took uh, Cyprus for Neophytos the Recluse. Uh, he he was he was to blame for. All the um, ills that befell upon Cyprus, uh, you know, after his taking over uh, the um, uh, the rule of, of the island, because of him, Richard came, and because of him, the Lusignans came afterwards, and Cyprus was never to be part of the Byzantine Empire again. So he was demonized by all sources, but for separate reasons. For um, Neophytos, I repeat, it was because he separated Cyprus from the Byzantine Ikumeni. Now, obviously, we cannot be sure about, uh, you know, the the extent of the accusations. Uh, of course, his uh, assumption of an imperial lifestyle is described uh, with. The, Hebristic extremes uh, by these writers, especially the Westerners. Uh, some historians claim that perhaps uh, what they say about silver statues and uh, um, set up in churches, uh, perhaps uh, they say that uh, these uh, this chronicles misunderstood the imperial. Uh, ritual. Uh, a culture, uh, We have a, a cultural misunderstanding of uh, the Byzantine imperial etiquette because this is what uh, Isaac tried to do, um, proclaiming himself an emperor. Obviously, he followed the imperial uh, rituals and these were misunderstood by the Westerners. We cannot tell. Definitely, he was a very, very ambitious and a very, very ruthless person. But obviously, there is exaggeration in uh, the descriptions of the time.
0: Now, back to Richard. He, He successfully conquers the island. And shortly after the conquest, he makes a decision to sell Cyprus to the Knights Templar. Why did he sell Cyprus and why did the Knights Templar purchase it from Richard?
1: Well, it's obvious from the sources again that Richard uh, never intended to keep the island. When he leaves the island and uh, goes to Palestine, he does leave a small garrison on the island with uh, two governors, but only a small garrison because obviously he wants to take uh, you know the uh, his all his forces to to Palestine uh, to fight against the muslims uh, he um there is also evidence um, um, that uh, okay he he took lots of money and supplies from the island, but it seems that he didn't want to keep the island for himself, and we may uh, see these in the settlement of Dawa upon Berengaria, which was signed in Limassol on the wedding day on 12th uh, of May, 1191. No uh, title concerning Cyprus or rights to Cyprus are assigned to Berengaria on this uh, settlement uh, of Dawa. The small uh, contingent, which was left on the small English contingent, Uh, left uh, uh, in Cyprus uh, after uh, Richard's departure, uh, seems seems to have faced uh, very, very quickly a sort of insurrection. um, Only the English sources talk about this insurrection. Neophytos the Recluse doesn't speak about it, Uh, neither do the Latin Eastern sources. And this shows that perhaps this kind of insurrection was insignificant. It seems that um, some of Isaac's men tried to proclaim another emperor and um, revolt against uh, Isaac's men. The the rebels were easily crushed uh, and their leader was hanged. This must have happened probably about a month after Richard's departure. But when Richard was informed, he didn't want to keep the island, he didn't want the trouble, so he decided to sell the island and the Templars were willing to buy it for 100,000 besants. That was the dollars of the time. It was a small amount. Uh, If we compare it with for example, the taxation of the island or the the sale of uh, other uh, territories. It was a small amount, which shows that Richard was really eager to get rid of of the island. The Templars bought it because for them, it was the perfect uh, place to use it as their headquarters, very near Syria and Palestine an island with a natural frontier, a rich island, a fertile island. So for the Templars, a military or uh, religious order, it was the perfect place. They gave him, they paid Richard uh, in advance 40,000 besants and the remainder was to be paid out of the island's revenues. So sometime in the summer of 1191, the Templars arrived on the island,
0: and when they do, it almost seems, you know, at least in the historical sources, it almost seems that it, immediately uh, Cypriots uh, revolted again.
1: They do revolt and, again.
0: Yeah. So why, why, why? So what happened in such a short <laughs> well, period of time um, um, that they're revolting against the Templars?
1: Again, well, it seems the the, the Templars sent only a small force on the island, and apparently they wanted to exploit the island's resources to the most, so they imposed very, very heavy taxation on the islanders. And um, uh, the revolt this time seems to have been the result of oppressive administration, We don't have, you know, uh, Isaac's supporters. It wasn't political this time. It has a definite popular character. It happened in uh, early April 1192. It was Easter time. Um, Lots of Cypriots gathered in the capital, in Nicosia. It was uh, the Saturday of the Holy Week. 4th of July, 1192, uh, on the occasion of a market day, lots of uh, uh, people uh, gather in Nicosia. And um, the sources this time are only uh, the sources, uh, uh, sources from the Latin East, so uh, apparently uh, uh, writers who knew about the events. And they tell us that uh, the Cypriots realized that the number of the Templar knights wasn't that high, wasn't that big, and they thought that they could face them and kill them and throw them out of Cyprus. They decided to attack on Easter Sunday, but they didn't really uh, take into consideration the the expertise of the Templars in the matters of the war. uh? The uh, sources say that Although indeed the Templars were very, very few, they managed to slaughter the Greeks. The Templars were really professional, professional uh, uh, warriors. Uh, they slaughtered the Greeks indiscriminately, like sheep. And um, But again, the fact that Neophidos the Recluse doesn't speak about this uh, revolt again, suggests that it wasn't that extended. Eh? Uh, it wasn't that significant. It was of limited, let's say, importance.
0: In, in the sources, lis- um, listeners might be surprised to hear that often they don't refer to the people of Cyprus as Greeks, but they call them Griffins. Yeah, uh, And actually, you mentioned that Cypriots are attributed all the stereotypes associated with the Greeks. Yes. Uh, what are those stereotypes? And where, where does this term, Griffin, uh, originate? Because it is pejorative.
1: The, um, the Crusades created the conditions for the West and the East to come together. But they also intensified prejudices on both sides, for the Westerners, the Greeks were, the Byzantines that is, were coward, effeminate, uh, avaricious, cruel, heretics who hated the Latins, treacherous, arrogant, uh, whereas uh, the Westerners, they were the uh, uh, good warriors, excellent uh, knights. Um, the Greeks, uh, they preferred to compromise. Uh, um, and uh, the name Griffon apparently arose out of a phonetic confusion between griffon, griffin in English. In Greek, the word is grips, grips, which is a legendary animal, uh, head and wings of an eagle, and body. Of an eye of a lion, so it's a, it's a monster. It's a legendary animal, but it's a, it's a negative animal, let's say. Uh, so the name griffon probably arose out of a phonetic confusion between griffon and the old French word for the Greeks, who uh, which is the the ethnic name grueux Greek. Eh? griffon grueux, So, by the um, end of the 12th century, we find in uh, French, especially French, but also Latin texts, uh, the name, the ethnic name Griffon, which designates the Greeks, the Byzantines. And it has negative connotations um, uh, related with the the this legendary uh, animal the name disappears in the second half of the 14th century and the Greeks of Cyprus are also called griffon in in many sources
0: and finally we come to, to the end of our our story where richard where the templars presumably i mean you'll you'll have to Elaborate a little bit here, maybe because of the rebellion, maybe because of the hassle of keeping Cyprus. For some reason, within a year, they sold it to Guy de Lusignan, who purchased Cyprus. Uh, So who were they? Who were the Lusignans? Was it sold? Was it given? Um, And how did their governance differ from that of the Templars?
1: The Lusignans were um, a family of the lower nobility. In um, uh, the county of Uh, Poitou. Even today, there is a place called Lusignan in Poitou in in, um, uh, Western France. But at the time, uh, the the area was a fief belonged to the King of England, the Plantagenets. Okay, so the Lusignans were um, feudatories of Richard the Lionheart. The f- members of the family had come to the west, uh, s- sorry, to the east, um, before the Third Crusade. Guy of Lusignan, um, s- according to the sources, was quite a handsome guy. So uh, the queen of Jerusalem fell in love with him and he, she married him, and this is how he became king of Jerusalem. But apparently he, he wasn't a very, very successful general because he lost battles he, uh, to uh, the Muslims and he lost the city of Jerusalem because of his uh, bad uh, decisions. So when his wife died, he no longer was uh, king of, of, of Jerusalem. He, he derived the title from his marriage. okay, His wife was the heir to the throne, not himself. So when his wife died, he he was no longer king of Jerusalem. And because he wasn't really uh, very popular amongst the nobility of Jerusalem, and because he was Richard's uh, vassal, hmm, Richard asked him whether he wanted to buy Cyprus after the Templars uh, returned it uh, to him. Guy thought it's the perfect solution for me to have a kingdom. Mm? So he bought it. Some sources claim that uh, it was given to him uh, for free. We don't believe that. These sources are really unreliable. Apparently, uh, Richard transferred to Guy the agreement he had with the Templars. So uh, Guy... Paid. Actually, he had a loan from the Genoese and paid the Templars the 40,000 advance they had given to Richard, and he owed Richard the rest of the money, the 60,000, which he never paid. So the British, (laughs) the English, they could have claimed Cyprus. He never paid the entire sum, Guy or his successors. Um, but uh, the, 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 um, uh, Richard wasn't really interested. And uh, when Guy died in 1194, uh, uh, Richard and then uh, his uh, uh, heirs failed to claim Cyprus. So the sovereignty of the Lusignan dynasty was affirmed and nobody disputed it. Their rule was. Um, very wise, this is the word I want to use. Wise in the sense that um, they already had the experience of um, living in in an Eastern country with uh, a native population that wasn't Latin. Uh, And I'm talking about, you know, the Kingdom of Jerusalem in Syria and Palestine. So they knew that they had to compromise a lot. They knew that they they shouldn't oppress the local population. And they also knew that they had to respect a number of the older institutions. And this is what they did. So the three-century rule of the Lusignans didn't witness any insurrections on, on the part of the greeks there were civil wars there were invasions but not on the part of the greeks
0: i i have one final question yes, for this period and it is about the 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 survival of these events in oral tradition uh for example there's a Story, I think a lot of people know about the local variety of grapes uh, in Cyprus called Verico, and one of the stories is that <laughs> Richard arrives and mentions that uh, you know these grapes are great, what you know they're very good, <laughs> and that's one of the one of the ways the word Verico comes into into play, which is is is, is simply untrue. What sort of other impact we have in modern in in today's oral tradition on on the land on the landscape on the people of Cyprus from this period
1: well not much survives in modern oral tradition there are some popular stories about the location of richard's uh, landing it was in amathus and this is why uh, amathus uh, the ancient town of amathus Um, That the ancient town of Amathus was destroyed by Richard, which is not true, again, because we know by excavations that Amathus was abandoned a lot earlier, hmm? and Limassol existed at the time. Also, that um, the site of his camp uh, in in the area of Limassol, it was probably uh, in Polemidia uh, village near uh, Limassol, and this is why the village is named Polemidia we cannot tell. Also that in Nicosia, his army uh, camped uh, uh, where the presidential palace now stands. This is apparently a myth created when the British came to Cyprus for a second time at the end of the 19th century. And of course, the most um, uh, uh, um, popular legend is the one you mentioned about uh, the Verico, Uh, It's a Cypriot variety of grapes, and uh, people um, make the connection, you know, uh, the the, the similarity between very good and verico, so they think that uh, the name verico, um, as you said, uh, derives from uh, Richard showing his appreciation when he he, uh, tasted uh, this variety on the island. This is, of course, uh, unfounded. Uh, As you said at the beginning of this uh, uh, conversation, Richard spoke French, so he would have said très bien. And on the other hand, he was in Cyprus in May, which is very early uh, in the season for grapes in Cyprus. Let me finish by saying that uh, uh, what is true is that if I may use you know colloquial <laughs> um, language, Richard did all the dirty work for the Lusignans uh, when the Lusignans came to the island. Richard, he, his invasion was so terrifying that there was no wish on the part of the Cypriots to resist or fight again. So he really did the dirty work for the Lusinians.
0: Wow, Angel, that was, that was fantastic. You really did uh, King Richard, the Lionheart Justice, with this, with this interview today, with this conversation. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. It was a pleasure.